Well, good morning, everybody. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we always need your help. I need your help to share the things you've taught me. And everyone here needs help to hear, including me. So I ask you to send your spirit in a fresh way. As fresh wind and fresh fire, walk around in this room and meet each one of us at our point of need. Lord, let us not just say that we live new or say that we want to live new. We actually want to literally be new creatures in Christ Jesus. We want to live new. So we're not going to do this unless you help us. So please do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, are you really okay with who you are? You know, I think at a message earlier this year, I told you I'm not okay with who I am. One of the things that I want is more joy in my life. And so I've been on a pursuit of more joy this year. Most of us are not really okay with ourselves. Most of us would like to live new, but we fail in the same old ways over and over and over again. Now, we're not here to lay a guilt trip on you today. Um, we're not here to tell you, you just got to do more and you got to try harder. Your mama already laid the guilt on you and you didn't change, right? Right? Pastors are good at laying the guilt on you. And you're probably already pretty good at laying the guilt on yourself. So we don't want this to be kind of a guilt trip. But, but let's just face it. Most of us are not changing like we would like to change. We're not getting better. Frankly, some of us have kind of just given up. You know, I tried all the stuff. You know, I'm just going to go through the motions now. But what if a new you is actually possible? What if you could be radically transformed? And what if it happened not by trying harder, but by believing better? What if there were just a few simple truths that if we would live them out on a consistent basis, we would actually morph, we would actually change. I want to talk to you today about radical transformation. And to help us with that, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, this is one of the most powerful sections in all the Bible. Uh, many Christians for, for 2,000 years have memorized these two verses. They're that important. These two verses are really a turning point in the book of Romans. It's like a hinge point in Romans. Starting with chapter 12, we're moving away from uh, the foundation of beliefs into like the realm of behavior. Uh, we're, we're moving from uh, the mercies of God, which are celebrated, to the ministries of God. We're moving from doctrine to duty. Uh, we're moving away from what God has worked into us to what we're supposed to work out. So um, we're going to learn what it takes to live new. So notice how it all starts. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now we have to stop there. When you see the word therefore, you have to ask, why is the therefore therefore? Okay? And what he's doing here is he's pointing us back to everything that we've already learned in the book of Romans. He's appealing to us based on the mercies of God that have already been revealed to us in the book of Romans. You say, well, what are the mercies of God? Well, if you just go back to chapter 3. Uh, we're all sinners, and we deserve the wrath of God. However, God has become both just and justifier. He was just in that He punished sin, except He punished Jesus in our place, and He became our justifier. So, we've been made just as if 
We'd never sin. We've been forgiven of all of our sins. Chapter 4 tells us we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that when God sees me, he sees me like he sees Christ. Chapter 5 tells us that we have peace with God. We're not even warring with God anymore. It tells us that we can hope in God. It says that you're not in Adam anymore. You're in Christ now. Chapter 6 tells us that we are dead to sin and alive to God now. Chapter 7 tells us you don't have to obey the Old Testament law the old way by trying hard doing more in order to make God like you. You can obey in a new way now, by the Spirit. Chapter 8 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, do you remember what Dean told us our response is supposed to be to that? No condemnation. What's the response? Yes! No condemnation! Woohoo! <laughs> it says, uh, The sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with glory that is coming. It says, All things work together for good to everyone who loves God. It says that you're, that you're, that you're chosen. Chapter 9 talks about how God has chosen us, and because He's chosen us, we can have assurance of our salvation. Chapter 10 says, Hey, you want to be saved? Whosoever will may come. If you want to be saved, guess what? You can be saved. And chapter 11 says, hey, just because some branches are broken doesn't mean the promises are broken. All of that is the mercies of God. So the Apostle Paul is appealing to us based on the mercies of God. Are you just like nuts over the mercies of God? You should be. I should be. No wonder he says, from him to him and through him are all things to him be the glory forever. So you want to live new? It starts with the mercies of God. So let's start at the top of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and let's just read it together. So read it with me. Here we go. I appeal to you. Let's go back one slide. There we go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right. Remember we started by saying deep down inside you probably want to be a better person than you really are. Well, for sure your spouse and your kids and your friends... And your co-workers want you to be a better person than you really are. Radical transformation. Is it possible? You know, some of you are going, but, but how is it possible? I've tried everything. I'm stuck. How can I be better? Well, here are three truths today that you got to own and live out if you want to be new. For a radical transformation, first, present your body. Present your body. Look again at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Now, when you see the word sacrifice, you think Old Testament. Because <laughs> in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, when you wanted to ask for forgiveness, you came to the temple, you came to Jerusalem, you have an animal, and the animal is placed on the altar, and it's killed, and it's burned as a sacrifice to God. An innocent animal became the substitute and died in the place of sinful people. And just think about the blood and think about the smell. It's gruesome business. So why so gruesome? And I think it's because it pictured the awfulness of sin and the holiness of God. It showed that you understood the seriousness of your sin and that a price for sin had to be paid 
to a holy God. So the innocent dies for the guilty. Now, I just want to read just a few verses from the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 1, about these sacrifices. And I want you to see if you can kind of connect the dots between the Old Testament sacrifice and this New Testament living sacrifice that we're supposed to be. Verse 2, he says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd, that would be a bull, or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, a bull, the priest shall burn all of it. All of it on the altar is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or the goats, the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, like a dove, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons, and the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now that's the Old Testament sacrifice. We don't do that anymore. Why? Because of God's mercies. He loved us. He gave his, his son, Jesus, as the Lamb of God who died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be made right with God. And that did away with the Old Testament sacrifices. So today, God's not looking for dead animal sacrifices. He's looking for living human sacrifices. But did you notice that there in Leviticus, there are three kinds of sacrifices? There's a bull, a goat, and a dove. Why? Well, if you're rich, you can afford a bull. And if you're poor, you can afford a dove. And if you're middle class, you can afford a goat. So the point is this. Everybody sacrifice. Everybody. You know what that means for us? All of us, without exception, the rich, the poor, and the in-between, the people that are gifted with many spiritual gifts and the people that are gifted with a few, the people that are up on stage and the people that are in the congregation, everybody has to offer a sacrifice to God. You can't walk in here and go, well, you know, Pastor Rick has to offer himself as a sacrifice, but I don't. Sorry. Everybody is included. Everybody without exception has to ask, am I truly a living sacrifice? Have I presented myself, have I presented my body to God as a living sacrifice? Now, in some places in the Old Testament, with certain types of sacrifices, the priest could keep a portion of the sacrifice for himself and his family as a kind of pay. He and his family would eat the portion of the sacrifice uh, that wasn't burnt. But not here in Leviticus 1, because in Leviticus 1, the priest burned all of it. They offered all of it on the altar. You can't take some of it to the meat market to sell. Now here's the point of that. We are all supposed to be all in. We are all supposed to offer our all on the altar. So what Paul is asking us to do here, it is extreme. It is radical. He's saying, make your life a living death. On Thursday, I spent a couple hours getting to know one of CBC's young adults, Tricia Foss. She gave up a career here in Northeast Ohio in interior design to move to Israel as a missionary to teach little Palestinian children. And now she's uh, changing. She's going to join a church planting team there in Israel. And you know what the name of her organization is? Here it is. Live Dead. That's the name of the organization. Live Dead. You know what? I love that. 
You say, whoa, whoa, time out. Here at CVC, we're all talking about live new. Live dead sounds just like the opposite of live new. What are you talking about? Not really. See, Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 12, the only way that you can live new is by living dead. Something has to be put to death in my life. Something has to be put to death in your life. You say, what is it? Our right to live as we choose. As Pastor David Platt says, we have to give our lives as a blank check to God. Give up your life as a blank check to God. Our culture hates that idea. Our culture says, no, 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 you belong to yourself. You're the master of your own fate. You should call the shots. You need to be boss of your own life. You know best. You be in charge. And it feels like death for us to say to God, Lord, you take over. And you know what? It is a kind of death. But it's the only kind of sacrifice that ultimately leads to life. Because you know what? You are already giving yourself to something. You're already a living sacrifice to something. It might be to your agenda. It might be to your career. It might be to your family. It might be to your comfort. It might be to your money. It might be to your pleasure. But you're already giving your life to something. And what's it giving you back? Death. If you give your life to God, he's the only, He has the only altar where ultimately you'll get life back. Take your hands off your life. Make your life a blank check and then give it to God. This is the way to live new. This is the way to be transformed. It leads to radical transformation. Living sacrifice. Is that me? Is that you? See, I'm going to tell you the problem with the living sacrifice. It can crawl off the altar. Right? It could crawl off the altar. So that's why if you're going to be a living sacrifice, you have to become an expert at saying something to yourself. You know what you need to say? Get back in that coffin! Hey, Rick, what are you doing? Get back in the coffin. Sue, what are you doing? Get back in the coffin. See, this is what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 6. Do not present the members of your body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. The reason some of us are not changing is because we haven't made our lives a blank check and we haven't put it into the hands of God and asked Him to fill in the blanks. Has there ever been a point in time in your life when you said, here I am, God, all that I am, I'm yours? If you haven't done that, why not now? Why not today? For a radical transformation, present your body. Second, counter your culture. Counter your culture. Notice in Romans 12, 2, it starts off by saying, do not be conformed to this world. Now, we could go down the path of you know, don't watch this show on TV and don't read that, you know, magazine. And, and you guys can 
You guys can do that for yourself. But I want to take us in a little bit of a different direction. See, one version says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Eugene Peterson says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. World here, it refers to a system of living and thinking that ignores God, opposes God. We find ourselves in a world that is often headed the wrong way. It's not headed God's way. And of course, we live in the world. You know, we can't live in no culture because everything is culture. Even a church has a culture. And we don't want to create some kind of a weird, isolated, and insulated Christian subculture where we're riding around in buggies and, you know, horses are pulling us around. We're supposed to be out there leading in industry and art and music and education. We are going to participate in the culture. We have to have influence in the world, not just run and hide from it. In fact, Jesus prays in John chapter 17 for us to be in the world, but not of the world. So think about it. He came to be in the world and ultimately redeem it. And in the process, resisted the downward drag of the world. It's what 1 John 2 talks about. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When uh, my wife Marianne and I came to Northeast Ohio almost 30 years ago to start this church, we came to be a part of the culture in Northeast Ohio. And we wanted to start a congregation that would be known for what we were for, not for what we were against. And I've been pleased to hear Pastor Chad say virtually the same thing. You know what we're for? We're for marriage. The union of one man and one woman in Christ for life to create homes that are stable and empowering. We are for taking care of the creation, this planet that God has made for us to enjoy so that it's safe and productive for our generation and for generations to come. We are for women's rights, including the right of little females inside their mother's wombs to be born and have the opportunity to grow up to be women themselves someday. We are for tolerance, but not the kind of tolerance that actually stifles conversation and disagreement. There's a kind of ill-formed tolerance today that is really intolerant of anyone who dares to question what the majority would say is politically correct. We are for the kind of tolerance that leads to religious liberty. We are for taking care of the last and the least so that little boys and girls don't grow up to be sex slaves, so that orphans and widows are cared for, so that everyone on the planet has safe, clean drinking water, so that people in systemic poverty can be empowered and lifted out of it. We're for all of that. Now, you may not be able to do a lot about all of these issues, but you know what? You could do something. And you might be able to do something even significant about one of these. So pick one of these issues, one of these global Goliaths, and then leverage your life to bring it down and build God's kingdom. And you know what? If you will do that, if you will counter your culture that way, you will change. You'll be a different person. You won't be so caught up in all your little petty junk that gets us all miserable because we will be focused on something bigger than whether my leather couch has a rip in it or not. That's not in my notes. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> and we don't even have a leather couch, so I... <laughs> Be a follower of Jesus in such a way that you are known for what you're for, not for what you're against. 
And this is the way to not be conformed to this world. Be transformed. And we're to be transformers. So we counter any part of our culture that stands against the kingdom of Christ. And we do it with what Russell Moore, the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, calls convictional kindness. That's who we are. Convictional kindness. But if you take your stand for something that pleases Jesus and you got convictional kindness, you're going to be criticized. Some will criticize you for your conviction and some will criticize you for your kindness. But that's the very experience Jesus had. I mean, when he attended dinner parties at the homes of Matthew and Zacchaeus, the tax collectors, he was criticized by the people on the right because he was um, having dinner with sinners. And he was criticized by the people on the left because he dared to call sin, sin. See, Jesus knew something that we forget. Truth doesn't come from the right. Truth doesn't come from the left. Truth comes from above. And if we're going to counter the culture the way Jesus did, we've got to remember something else. The kingdom of Christ is not of this world. So we are focused on the individual conversions of people in our circle of influence, and we're going to have new life conversations with them one at a time. Because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we're going to go to heaven, and we're going to take as many people with us as we possibly can. That's why I'm so excited about those 44 new lives in Christ that we baptized this past weekend. And you know what? If our primary aim is to convert people to new life in Christ, we can trust that He will transform their worldview. He will. How are you countering your culture? How am I countering my culture? For radical transformation, present your body, counter your culture, and then renew your mind. Renew your mind. Notice in verse 2, he says, Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I love the word transformed here because it's the word metamorpho, and we got that word in grade school, metamorphosis. It's a, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, and this is what God intends for us. He says, you got to change, you got to morph, you got to grow. Staying the same as you are today is not an option. So you want your life to be different? At the end of 2015, you got to morph. you got to be transformed. So how do you get transformed? You renew your mind. It says it again in Ephesians chapter 4. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Paul is saying, you have been made new, therefore remind yourself of that. Renew your mind. So what does he mean? Well, why was the Bible written? Why was this book Romans written that we're studying? It's to help us renew our minds. See, you cannot renew your mind if you're not taking in the Word of God. There's all kinds of stuff that come into our minds that will take us away from God's truth. We need to be reminded of what He has had to say. This is why a solid Bible reading plan for every follower of Christ is not optional. And it's why here at CBC we have a Bible reading plan that we promote every year. And sometimes, you know, I run into people that they kind of resist the CVC Bible reading plan, and they say, well, I'm just going to follow my own plan. Okay, that's great. Are you working your own plan? Really? Because, you know, it, 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 life happens for followers of Jesus, right? And, and, and the world comes and crowds out our Bible intake. Listen, I just say this. Following the CVC Bible reading plan is better than you not following your own Bible reading plan. Right? Duh. 
So pick up a copy of this on your way out in the foyer today. It's right there in the middle. And then start tomorrow just by joining us, reading a few verses in Proverbs and a few verses in Titus. Know the truth. Read your Bible. Think about it. Hang out with other people that are reading their Bibles for radical transformation. Present your body, counter your culture, and renew your mind. And notice what happens if you do all of that. Verse 2 Last part, you will discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, what's this saying about God's will? <laughs> it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Followers of Jesus often struggle with that whole idea of making their lives blank checks and giving it to God. Because if I give my life to God, I just know God doesn't really like me. He might love me, but he doesn't like me, and he's going to make me miserable. So I'm not going to give him a blank check. The verse says God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. He's not trying to make you miserable. He's trying to increase your joy. He knows what you were made for. And the whole motivation behind making your life a blank check is the mercies of God. God has already been merciful to you. He will continue to be merciful to you. So why wouldn't we want to give ourselves completely over to a merciful God? God's will is good for me. God's will is acceptable to me. God's will is perfect for me. Now, I don't think you believe this. So to help you believe it, maybe just a little bit more, would you just read that with me, okay? Let's, let's read it out loud. God's will is good for me. God's will is acceptable to me. God's will is perfect for me. Don't be afraid of God's will for your life. How do you discern God's will? Very simple. The presentation of my body is a living sacrifice. The transformation of my life by renewing my mind and not being conformed to the world will equal the revelation of God's will for my life. We have all kinds of questions about the will of God. You know, where should I go to school? You know, what should be my major? What should be my career path? Who should I marry? And where should I live? Should we buy a house? Should we rent an apartment? Should we have kids? How many kids should we have? Uh, should I quit my job and go to seminary and study to be a missionary? Should I relocate as a family? Should I take early retirement? We are looking for all kinds of answers to all kinds of questions. And I just want to say this. God is more concerned with who you are becoming than where you are living. It's as though God is saying to us, you take care of who you're becoming, I'll take care of who you're dating. Present your body, counter your culture, renew your mind. And then you know what? Just, just do whatever you want to do after that. You say, whoa, that sounds risky. <laughs> that sounds kind of not spiritual, Pastor Rick. I thought the will of God just kind of came down from a divine download and you just kind of zap and got it. No, no, no. Listen, Psalm 34, 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. All right, so if you present your body and you counter your culture and you renew your mind, that just kind of sounds like you might be delighting yourself in the Lord. And what does it say? He will give you the desires of your heart. He will put in your heart His desires. That's why I say, hey, renew your mind, counter your culture, and present your body as a living sacrifice. Give your life as a blank check to God, and then just do what you want to do, because God will be charged of your desires. One of the young families from our church 
gave God a blank check. Eric and Sheena Kramer and their children have left a lucrative career in medicine to serve a poor, unreached people group in a remote village in northern Mexico. And I asked Eric to share just a few of his thoughts about Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so he recorded this for us this past week. We had to give up a lot of stuff in order to do it. We had to give up money. We had to give up careers. We had to give up a lot of our possessions. And most importantly, in our minds, we had to give up a lot of close relationships we have with family and other people because we weren't going to be able to see them nine months out of the year. And that's a process that continues to this day. That offering of ourselves and what we had wasn't a one-time thing. We continue to to live that out daily. And um, for me, that's kind of like the process of sanctification. You know, it's a continual lifelong process that God works in us. And on the same token, um, God's been renewing both Shannon and I's minds this year. Um, To be honest, the first four months that we were down here, um, January through April, were really difficult months. Um, Very dark spiritually, mentally for us. We struggled a lot. Uh, There was many times when we really genuinely wanted to quit. Um, And Shin and I both uh, sought, sought God, sought His will in this, asking God, why are you putting us through this? Why are we here? What's our purpose here if we have to go through this? Um, please either get us out of here or change our hearts. And God gave me um, Philippians 2, 3 through 8, which talks about Jesus and how He had all the rights and power in the world equal to God. And He voluntarily gave it all up out of obedience because He loved us so much. Even though we hated him, even though we despised him, even though we ultimately turned our backs on him, he still came and humbled himself to the point of dying on the cross for us. And that example of humility and servanthood and um, just uh, limitless compassion really renewed my mind uh, as to what our purpose was down here, um, why our reason was to come to Mexico, you know, and it had, didn't really have much to do with me. It had to do with God's will down here and telling uh, this people group, this unreached people group about it, uh, uh, God's love. And so that verse, along with several other things, really renewed our minds in a genuine way and really turned things around for us so that we could clearly see the will of God. Listen, if the Kramers down there in northern Mexico in a remote mountainous village are struggling to to continue to keep their hands off their own lives, to continue to make sure that their lives are blank checks before God. If they're struggling with that, what does that say about me? And what does that say about you? I mean, there's no program for what this looks like in everybody's life. But if you're a young family and you're on this fast career path and you're trying to make as much money as you can, maybe it means giving up that dream and moving to the urban part of Northeast Ohio and investing your life to reach people that are poor and needy there. I don't know what this looks like. Maybe it looks like if you're retired, (laughs) instead of trying to collect shells in South Carolina, you're going to move to Sri Lanka and try to win souls. 
Or maybe it means uh, you have to give God a blank check and you wrote on your check, hey, I'm going to do all these short-term mission trips and instead God has said, no, no, you're going to help take care of an aging parent. It's going to look different for all of us. God fills in the blanks. Not you, not me. But at the end of the day, there'll be great, great joy. Live dead. Make your life a blank check. Jesus Christ is not some puny little Savior in the sky who's just desperately hoping and waiting for you to make a little bit of room in your heart for Him. He is the Creator God, the King of kings, the one who died on a cross and rose again so that you could be made right with God and have a ticket to heaven forever. And He deserves you giving Him a blank check of your life. He is worthy for you to give your life to Him as a blank check. Why Why did Jesus take His hands off His own life when He was here on this planet? Why did He offer His life as a blank check to God the Father? Answer, to glorify God and to love you. Now because you want to glorify God and you want to love Him, take your hands off your life, give your life as a blank check to God, and let Him fill in the blanks. Truth to take home. Give God a blank check and let Him fill in the blanks. Maybe there's someone here today and you're saying, I've never done anything like this before and I'm frankly scared to do it. There's a prayer that you can pray. It's gone on the screen here. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I have let the world squeeze me into its mold. I've presented my body and my mind to things that have been displeasing to you and hurtful to others. I'm a sinner. I need your mercies. I believe you came to die on the cross and pay the penalty for my sins. You rose again. And I trust you now to be my Lord and Savior. Help me present my body, counter the culture, and you my mind. Totally transform me. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody here needs to pray that prayer. Maybe a lot of us here need to pray that prayer. And if you do, there's a response card in the back of the seat in front of you. Let us know. This is just a little way for you to say yes to Jesus after what he's done for you so that we can help you grow, help you keep renewing your mind. Father, I pray that you would help us all to realize that radical transformation is only going to happen if we continue to live by the mercies of God and offer ourselves completely to you. This is the way to joy. This is the way to peace. This is the way to hope. So grant this to us, God. We're going to mess it up if you leave us alone. Don't leave us alone. Mess with our lives. And make something of us. For we pray it in Christ's name.